Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about fast food. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Micah Silverna. I'm a childcare provider and I use they, them pronouns. So 2022, we're talking about directors. I, I made us a curriculum of like the great master directors of teenage movies. Uh, we're going to go through the whole year. Maybe I'll post that document on the Patreon so people can see what we're doing this year. The first of those great directors that we're talking about is Amy Heckerling because... You know, a, f- a woman director, a female director had to go first. Absolutely. And because she created the consummate teenage movie masterpiece in 1995's Clueless. But before we talk about Clueless, we got to do some groundwork. We got to talk about her first feature film, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, written by Cameron Crowe, who will also appear in the director's seat this year. And yeah, this movie is like, it's about based on a book by Cameron Crowe. It's so quintessentially about childhood or about teenagehood that we had to watch it. Plus, I mean, it like ran on like MTV and VH1 and TNT and all that shit like over and over and over when I was a kid. So I've seen it a million times. Yeah, it's really good. This is my first time seeing it and it definitely like screams teenagehood and has a lot to say and really shows kind of where Amy Heckerling stands on childhood and teenagehood. Totally. I think if you haven't seen this movie, you absolutely have to. Absolutely. I don't know how you could. I mean, it's like one of those movies that's sort of like Scarface or something like you've seen parts of it. Through reference. It really lays groundwork for the genre and totally is kind of a great place to start building any kind of reference to the genre of teen movies. And yeah, I think this year really is sort of about establishing a basis, a groundwork on which we, a skeleton on which we can hang the flesh of other movies and be able to compare them to these sort of quintessential yeah, this movies. is your 101 level. We're, we're right before we branch out to the the 202s and the yeah. Yeah, you're getting your basic info so you know what you're talking about. Right, exactly. Follow us on Twitter at anthro267. Subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com/anthro267. You can follow me on my personal Twitter at hacksor h a a c k z o r like my last name. I've actually been tweeting again recently, so go follow me there. Uh, you can find me at Queer Honey Bear on Twitter as well. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You follow us on Spotify. We're on Spotify now, too. Yeah. Join and- the Patreon. We have two whole patrons on the Patreon now. We're very excited about it. Yeah. Trigger warnings for this episode. We talk about sex a lot. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Sex yeah. and bad teaching. Sex and bad teaching is the subtitle of this episode for sure. Anyway, enjoy. Well, yeah, I guess it's funny because, like, if you take in as much right-wing media as as I do, mm-hmm. that's a weird sentence to say out loud. Uh, maybe I should stop doing that. You should, honestly. <laughs> do you, you think really maybe? Should. Do you think maybe it's poisoning my brain? She said, "I've been doing this like literally my entire life. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh when I was a kid. Like, I've been doing this my entire life. You think it's poisoning my brain?" <laughs> Do you think listening to Alex Jones every day is poisoning my brain? I've been worried about you. I've been meaning to talk to you about this. This is a weird time to bring it up. Yeah. I mean, I know you can filter it and you know. Yeah. Like, you are an intelligent listener who can dissect media because you have media literacy. But it's not good. It's (laughs) It's not okay. probably not healthy. It's so funny because, like, so many of my comfort shows over the years have been exactly that kind of thing. Because, like, Cognitive Dissonance, Scathing Atheist, like, I, I've always listened to these shows that are like, let's listen to fucking stupid preachers <laughs> and talk about how stupid they are. And Alex Jones is just one of those. He just doesn't realize it. Yeah. Alex Jones is basically, you know, like Jerry Falwell, only, like... Instead of preaching about hell, he's preaching about, like, globalists coming to steal your children. Like, it's the same threat. It's the same structure. And he even has the same, like, religious 
come to Jesus message underneath. He just doesn't realize that's what he's doing. And also, I'm calling it, I'm putting my fucking nickel down that in the next handful of years, because he's going through a bunch of legal shit right now, because he's getting sued. From every direction. Well, by the families at, of the Sandy Hook victims, oh, because right. he was he insisted for months that that never happened, that it was all actors. Right. It was a false flag. So... I my prediction I'm putting my nickel down that he ha- gets taken for like all of his money and he creates either like a charity or a church and starts running as a nonprofit and taking like charitable donations and stays afloat that way. That sounds about I right guarantee, for him. I guarantee it. He and it's so funny because like it's not as if he will be financially crippled. He's from a rich family. They've been rich forever. He has the same story as all rich kids. Like, his daddy got him his job and all that shit. Like, he's doing fine. Right. He just is unwilling to be anything but stupid rich. Even if it it means, like, crippling, like, his employees and everyone around him. I don't understand. Rich people. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't understand. As someone who grew up in a pretty privileged childhood and, like... I purposely kind of stepped away from that and try, like, wanted to stand on my own and not lean on that same classist uh, actions. And, like, it's a learning curve and it sucks and you have to face some bullshit. But, like, it's doable. And, and you're a better person now. Right. For having I'm done it. such a better person. And, like, I don't understand why people are so scared of change and can't learn to adapt better yeah and it weirds me out that it's so everyone is so resistant to like switching anything in their life yeah and like so the thing that's so weird to me is the like inability or like total disinterest in learning the experiences of other people yeah like yeah a a good example when I came out to my dad in my classic in classic my dad fashion, he said nothing. Right. And then immediately like started to like text me with like weird intrusive questions, you know, the classic crappy intrusive questions. And so I like sent him a bunch of articles and I was like, hey, here's a book you can read. And like you can go, here's your local P flag chapter right. meet on this day. Okay. Here's here's their parent guide. Like I gave him the whole curriculum. You know right. me. Like I, I know I'm. That's think, who you are. That's who I am. If you give me the opportunity, I will write a curriculum. <laughs> so, yeah. And then uh, he did. He did none of it. Right. Didn't read a single. Like didn't even like. Read the P flag guide for parents, which is like three pages and answers all the like basic questions, super basic one on one questions. And then just like, again, immediately was like, well, why are you doing this? Did I do something like is this? Yeah, right. It's always that fucking narcissism. Did I do something? What did I do? How did this affects me? Right. How is this about me in some way? And it's just so like I so fundamentally approach the world in a different way that like when i find that someone this comes back to the alex jones thing when i find that someone has a perspective that is radically different from mine i am so interested and i want so badly to figure out what it is and what makes it tick and like get in their head even if their head is like a terrible place to be just because like how could you not want more information over less? I yeah, I But maybe that's my autism. I was gonna say it might be a neurodivergent <laughs> thing because like I definitely was always like I wanna know how people see the world and that's one reason I really like relating to artists is because it's a good way for me to be like, this is how you interpret things, this is right. how you right. see things and you which, know Yeah, which I think kind of is a little bit this sort of thesis statement of this podcast and in particular this year of programming for 2022 which is basically like let's pick a handful of people and really drill down on what is their view of childhood yeah and like how does it differ from ours and like what 
can we learn about the larger picture of of media about childhood from them and stuff yeah i'm really excited that we're diving down into directors and stuff this year because like whenever i find a director that i like i tend to watch all of their movies at once (laughs) yeah and see how they move through the their process and Uh, stuff and how it influences them and i think I think it's going to be interesting to see what everyone has to say about childhood. I think so, too. I'm really excited to, yeah, to kind of, like, drill down on what individual directors. And also because we have a lot of overlap in, especially in the sort of first half of the year. Yeah. We have a lot of overlap in the triangle of, like, Heckerling, Crow, and Columbus. Yeah. Because they work together a lot and they write a lot of, like, screenplays and produce a lot for each other. Right. Yeah, we can really drill down on what they think because we're getting all the points of the creative process. A lot of times I feel like when we look at the director of a movie that's written by someone else and produced by yet another Mm -hmm. voice... It's maybe a little harder to drill down on like what the director feels mm-hmm. because Absolutely. there's more voices in the mix. But when you get like a Fast Times that we're talking about today, you know, written by Cameron Crowe based on a book by Cameron Crowe and directed by Amy Heckerling, like this is very much a movie about what Cameron Crowe and Amy Heckerling think about childhood. Yeah, it really is. And it's interesting. I've never seen this movie before. That's wild to me. That seems impossible to me. I don't know if it's the fact that I'm younger or the fact that I didn't have cable or what. I do think it's cable because like my husband and I were just talking about this, that we watched it on like MTV or VH1 or something a bunch. Yeah. When we were kids, which is why you might never have seen it. Right. So, yeah, I definitely missed out on this. And I think I would have loved this movie as a yeah. teenager. It feels like this movie really does capture a lot of what it is to be a teenager. Yeah, it definitely does. And, like, I really like that it, that you have, like, a variety of cast of characters and that there totally. are multiple storylines going through and you don't have, like, this one overarching, like, love story that takes over everything yeah and i i really enjoyed how each character is very distinct from one another and that was really nice to see and feel like i can relate to multiple right. people and there's not room just... to see yourself in the movie regardless of who it, that self is exactly yeah. which is really nice to see in these movies like yeah i i love an ensemble teen movie for exactly for that reason because you get to be like oh i'm the whatever whoever i was the i was the fast food guy that was me in high school (laughs) and uh yeah now i'm now i'm spicoli but (laughs) in high school i was always working because i had a crappy childhood (laughs) Uh, yeah there's so many people in this movie it's like hard to keep track yeah of everyone yeah i feel like i would have been rat or stacy yeah uh, i feel like <laughs> those are kind of my go-to personalities from when i was in high school i don't know who i am now i feel like i'm i'm trying not to be a spicoli but i feel like <laughs> it's somewhere deep in my bones. yeah it's funny how um spicoli has become an archetype now right like, we know a bartender who goes by Spicoli. A Spicoli is just a thing, right? Like, yeah. a burnout, like, a particular kind of burnout just is is a Spicoli. And it, it's fun how that, like, trope transcends. And honestly, like, fucking props to Sean Penn, like, as terrible of a human person as Sean Penn is. The fucking performance of Spicoli <laughs> is, like, amazing. And apparently he was, like, method. He was, of course like, he was. in character as Spicoli the whole time. Of course he was. And then when they finally rapped at the end, he would, like, went around to people going, like, hi, I'm Sean. Nice to meet you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay, Sean Penn, dial it back. You're not you're uh, not Daniel Day Lewis. Fucking oh, chill. Jesus Christ. Mm. You're playing a stoned high school kid, like you're not You're not you're going not, for the Oscar. You're not yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that stupid? It is so dumb. Oh my god. I feel like every time Spicoli was on screen, my brain just went 
that's a choice. <laughs> yeah. Like shirtless right? all the time. Shirtless all the time. Stoned in class. Ordering pizza. pizza. Oh my God. It was my. To the classroom. What the a baller f- move. Fucking balls on that kid. And then to like, yeah, take the time to explain, <laughs> explain his whole rationale. Like, I got to eat. You made me be in class. Like, I'm doing the thing that you basically forced my hand into doing this. Like, amazing it's fucking crushed it 10 out of 10 this kid is the best at high school (laughs) i yeah i I wish i had had balls like that in high school oh i definitely had a crush on spicoli like every time i'm like oh i i know you (laughs) we Uh, have met yeah this is another i think we're gonna hit this a lot but like the centrality of the mall as the gathering place of of teens i think especially in the 80s the mall was the play i mean i feel like in the way that like in a 50s or 60s movie like it was the the, malt shop the diner or the malt shop is the spot and like now we have the mall and the food court and like i don't know just something about the quintessential experience of like going to your shitty fast food job and like yeah staring across the mall at (laughs) <laughs> boys working at a different shop across on the other side of the food court like it seems uh, yeah totally yeah like as someone who had a mall across the street from their high school i spent a lot of time yeah i didn't i didn't have a mall i'm from too small a town to have a mall <laughs> wah wah um, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in the Barnes and Noble. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Because it was someplace, you know, the Starbucks and Barnes and Noble, we would always go do our homework at after work or yeah. after school. Yeah. Wow. Especially if I had to go back this, to school. This for... sounds like a fantasy magic childhood that you had. I, okay. So we, we as humans have talked about this before, but I have not talked about this on the podcast before. Like, I'm from a really small town in northern Wisconsin, and there were, like, there's no mall. There were really no chains. We had a Target and a Kmart growing up. Right. But, like, we didn't get a Walmart until, like, I was in high school. We didn't get a Starbucks until I was in middle school. Like, we didn't have fucking anything. So this is, like, a... This is, like, a weird fantasy childhood you're describing to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like... Uh, not only did I not have a Starbucks, like a, I would have to drive hours to get to a Barnes and Noble from where I live. See, I forget. <laughs> oh, I forget how small of a town it is. I went to my local book bookstore. Shout out Book World. I think you're closed, like all local bookstores. But my my town, my little town, still had like a little downtown with like shops right. and stuff. See, that's like what I always wanted. I like hated how big and isn't it funny how like modernity doesn't make it to no <laughs> like rural communities. Like I basically lived in like the 1960s version of a town. <laughs> hadn't like even caught up. Hadn't even made it to the 80s yet oh. to have a mall to put all the little shops out of business. Do- does it have a mall now? Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. So. Here's the thing. I we, just, because we the did, there, I was... We did actually have a tiny mall. I, I, There's a little bit of a lie. We did have a tiny mall. Um, but it was just a Shopco on one end and uh, a JCPenney's on the uh-huh. other end. Oh. With literally, this is not an exaggeration, an empty hallway <laughs> with one sometimes two shops open and then just like 12 empty shop fronts Oof. yeah yeah it was bad it was terrible there wasn't even i mean there was no none of your staples there was no food court there was no hot topic no spencers no kb toys no any of that stuff at one point there was a is it called Discovery Zone? It was like a science themed kids yeah, yeah, store yeah, yeah, yeah. that had like globes and maps and like animal stuffed animals. Like, but uh, yeah, that was that was it. Was not really a mall. It was a hallway. And then they bulldozed it when I was in high school, I think, because it was nothing, right. and because both the J.C. Penney's and the Shopco were like failing and i don't is shopco even still no i don't think an exit a going concern i don't think so so yeah that's where there's um 
there's like a tech school or something there now. Interesting. Mid state, mid state technical college tech. Not looking it up. Interesting. That is wild to me. Yeah. As someone who had multiple malls in their city. Yeah. And like. And you're not even from like Madison's not huge, huge but you know, it's like a quarter of a million people. Yeah, something the like that. Uh, you know, it's not huge, but like it's definitely yeah. <laughs> bigger than the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh boy, I am. But Sorry? that's, that's kind of why this show is so interesting to me because, like, a lot of the way I experienced childhood was through watching movies like Fast Times because I didn't have any of this stuff. Right. My childhood was, like, you know, killing small animals and, like, bothering cows. Like, that was my right. sort of quintessential experience, not, like, hanging out at the mall, like whatever right doing whatever so yeah that was like well, that was my window into like what real kids were doing in my sort of estimation uh-huh um which i think is why this is so interesting to me because like there are still kids there i mean the internet exists right so it's less of a thing but like there are plenty of kids for whom like media is the way that they connect with oh, like, childhood absolutely. culture and it's interesting to see what that culture is sort of is yeah yeah this movie is ridiculously horny. It's so it's, horny. As someone who's gone through puberty twice. Yeah. I agree that it is a horny time. Right. I was going to say, I don't think it's inaccurate. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> but there are some choices that are made. <laughs> Especially regarding uh, children dating adults. Yep. And... oh. Don't ever lie about your age. Like. Oh, boy. Yeah. Don't do it. That's like the first five minutes of the movie. It is. And like. She's like, yeah, 16-year-old, lie about your age so you can have sex with this adult man. I'm sure everything will be fine. Yeah. 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 I. It's just like, oh, honey. Although I think it's an accurate theme, the horniness of teenagers. As someone who has a non-allosexual relationship with sex, I find it really annoying that sex is always, like... So central. So central. And, like... See, I mean, I just feel like... I mean, I think this is probably a point on which we will just always disagree because of our different relationships Uh with sex, which is just what it is. But, like, I mean, I grew up Catholic, so, like sex was like a really bad and taboo thing right so it was like really kind of important to me to be able to see teenagers being sexual like this oh absolutely to take some of the shame and stigma away and and i agree that maybe this movie goes a little too far I don't want to say that. I don't think it goes too far. I think not all teen movies need to have this much sex in Absolutely. them. Absolutely. But I do think it's interesting that you couldn't make a teen movie that was this sexy. Oh, in, God, no. In 2022. No, and, like, I absolutely agree. I, I'm kind of at war with myself constantly over this point because I agree with you that there definitely needs to be more sex, especially more female bodies that totally. are seen naked and decent, like, to make it less shameful and less taboo and, totally. like, more standardized so we are not always constantly sexualizing uh, femme-presenting bodies. I also should maybe interject that, like, maybe we should have, maybe the answer is more nudity and less sex. That could totally be Like, it. L- more unsexual nudity right right More nudity that's not performative not for anyone just sort of matter of fact right and maybe the comfort with human naked human bodies would by proximity help with the sex shame because yeah. i know that was a big part of it for me growing right. up was like not only is sex shameful but like the physical forms that have that take part in it are also shameful right. so at least maybe we could take one of the things out without necessarily having to make anyone comfortable with the other thing right just a just a thought just a theory it's a good theory just a theory is the sub subtitle of this podcast i grew up on the completely different side of my relationships with sex where i 
was introduced and it was normalized at an early age. And like my my mother was embarrassingly open about that conversation. Very fond memory of her telling me and one of my more prudish friends about how you should get yours first because someone had been, some students had been caught giving a blowjob in the parking lot. Okay, that's amazing. Right? Your mom's a hero. Right? Like, we were in middle school at the time, too. <laughs> I, like... I don't disagree with oh, that as no, choice. Not at all. I, like, looking back <laughs> I at it... I would probably do the same thing right? to my children. It's a great choice. But when you are... But to do it in front is a little uncomfortable, I guess. There's a better way to approach that. Right. Like, yeah. I, at the time, it was very embarrassing. So, like, my my relationships with sex and, like, all, around all of it was, like, I just wanted to get it out of the way. I just wanted to know what the experience was for myself. Yeah. And it was a lot easier to approach. And I think, I think that's why I relate to a lot of, like, the female characters... Yeah, I feel like I really related to Linda because, like, once I kind of, like, figured sex out, it was, I was, it wasn't a big deal for me to, like, want it because, like, I was taught that it's okay to want it. Totally. Uh, But also, like, I definitely think there's this other side that, like, felt a huge pressure that, like, this is something I'm supposed to want yeah, at this age. For sure. Because that's what you see in movies of, like, everyone is always... It, like, I feel like there was a genre of teen movies, uh, especially when I was a kid, where everything was, like, really horny. Yeah. Because, like, uh, American Pie came out around oh, the same yeah. time. And, like, Euro Trip right. yeah. and all that kind of... Stuff, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, where like I kind of blocked all those out too. Yeah, it was just like as someone who was like, okay, so this is, is this what I'm supposed to be like? Versus like yeah. n- learning that again, if there was a comprehensive sexual ed, com- we could talk about uh, non-allosexual people and have that as an option because that could save a lot of people a lot of trouble. And I also think it's a lot because a lot of those movies are like horny from a male perspective yeah they are like there's almost i mean with like one exception in those american pie movies there's no like horny women and the one time there is it's played for a joke right and so like i think that's one of the nice things about this movie is like maybe more more sex stuff for like femme folks and yes. to have it be less of a deal and have like virginity be less of a deal. Yeah. Because yeah, I feel like constant especially because it feels a little like dehumanizing that there's just boys are portrayed as these sort of like ravenous horny monsters right. that just will do whatever and yeah, it's like it's not helpful to men or women like it's it's no, it's not helpful reductive at all. to both of, to everyone. This movie at least has some like positive relationships. Oh, absolutely, and relationships where like both people are interested in sex, and you know, people say no to sex when it's not right. And, right, like, uh, that stuff is great. Yeah, no, this movie's relationship with sex is incredible. It and definitely. I- has been done way worse, and especially when we were kids, it was being done a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, and I I definitely think that has a huge thanks to Amy Heckerling and how totally. how she handles things. And I like Cause, you can like because you do have like both of the female leads are both want sex and go after sex and have consensual sex and talk about how it wasn't up to their expectations. Right. Right. Which you know. And I think if we didn't put so much pressure on sex and losing your virginity to be this, like, huge, magical, transformative experience, then that would be, you know, that would be less of a disappointment. I remember the first time I had sex just being like, that's it? Like, there's no fireworks, there's no magic, it's just, like, kind of awkward and then it's over. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But also, like, you have to remember that, like, Amy Heckerling is 27 making this movie. Yeah, she's, like, fresh out of film school. This is her first, like, real movie. Her only movie before this are, like, student films and her, like, thesis film. And that's it. 
and then Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She's 27. She has such a close relationship still with, like, high school yeah, and that does. experience. Because, like, she just got out of school. Yeah. Which I think is why it might be... It's so interesting to talk about her as our first director. Because she's also, like, the youngest of these directors that we're yeah, going to talk about. Yeah, and she really does seem to have a strong connection with childhood. And, like... Totally. Has a lot to say about it. Yeah. And it seems very fresh and very, like... And I think that is why Cameron Crowe sought her out for this movie. Because her her thesis film is also about, like, teens. And it's like a teen sex romp, like, drama thing. Oh, nice. So, like, that was obviously, like, a part of the factor is, like, that's part of what she as a director likes to talk about right and yeah i mean this movie is written screenplay by cameron crowe based on book by cameron crowe but yes like explicitly sort of like about like the book is like stories from a from a mall okay i like Um, that yeah 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 so yeah this movie does a really good job of showing teenagers inability to distinguish lust and love yeah which i think is quintessential teenagehood totally like yeah like rat's reaction when he first meets stacy and he's just like doesn't know her name but he's in love and right it's like buddy that's not love. that's not how that works but <laughs> i am so excited for you yeah i'm so you excited s- for you to get your heart dashed oh you seem like you're about to have a real experience yeah right definitely feel like the characters read as very real and very much like i know all these kids from my high school and yeah it it definitely reads as like very much interested in children and not like not patronizing yeah absolutely it's like very much each of them seem to be somewhat independent and like have the ability to live their own life and are respected to live that own life yeah and i think that is really cool to see especially because like so many of us felt like that was not given to us totally well and like Maybe Heckerling explicitly said, I read some, like, of, of, as always, I read some articles and stuff. And she explicitly said, like, I hate parents. I have n- I wanted no part of depicting parents in this movie. Um, so that's why, I mean, there's basically none. No, there There's aren't. basically no parents at all. I think the only adults we see are teachers. Are teachers. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, teachers or, like, fast food workers bosses Bosses. and customers and stuff but like yeah i don't think there are any any parents in the whole movie which is interesting because like yeah i feel like the movies we watch do that a lot yeah um where there are no parents and i i wonder i mean part of it i think is a teenage perception thing like by the time you're a teenager you're trying to kind of trying to forget that your parents exist yeah for real um yeah i think part of it is like teenage fantasy kind of that way like i think in the rewrite of all of our teenage hoods especially in high school we kind of like to pretend that our parents weren't there yeah yeah Yeah, or in my I, case, they actually weren't for at any point. <laughs> see, mine were always there. Uh, you forget my mom worked at my high right. school. <laughs> yeah, God, that sounds like a nightmare. So, like, I I dreamed of that having of that having kind that of space. Yeah, and so I feel like that's why like those afternoons at the mall were so important because right. it's like I the could, freedom. Yeah, I could have that moment of, like, feeling like an adult or, like, a real-ass person for the first time. Totally, yeah. I think that feeling is very well shown in this movie. Yeah. And it was really fun to be able to be like, I remember doing that. I remember, (laughs) like, you know, like, I remember food court dates. I remember... Food court dates. That sounds so cute. Oh, yeah. You meet at the mall and you go to the food court, you go shopping together, you walk around the mall holding hands. Is that the deal? Yeah. Fuck, that sounds cute. It was real cute. <laughs> uh, spent a lot of time on Hot Topic, of course. <laughs> uh, 
I feel like this sums my personality up a lot. My two go-to stores were Forever 21 and Hot Topic. <laughs> I feel like that's that, that definitely does sum you up pretty well. Right, but that says a lot about who I was and who I am. Yeah, my go-to stores in the mall are like Hot Topic and the Weird Sword Store. <laughs> that's my, if you want the... My equivalent. That's the insight into my personality. Oh, I, I've never gone <laughs> we, to the weird sword the weird store. sword store. Yeah, the weird thing about me, uh, for me going to the mall as a kid, was like because the mall was in a town far away. Like I had to go with my parents. Right. So the mall was kind of the opposite thing. Like I couldn't have that kind of freedom, and I couldn't go like buy the things that I wanted and do the things that I wanted because like. Somebody was always there standing over my shoulder. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Thinking about it, I don't know the last time I've been to a mall, and I the yeah. whole, the experience right now sounds terrifying. Do we? I guess we have the North Gate. We have the mall. North Gate one, and I don't think I've been in. I haven't been in years. years. I think I've been up to the Target that is attached to the North Gate Mall. Or maybe the Best Buy? I feel like maybe the Best Buy. But I don't think I've actually been in the mall. Although now that you mention it, I am kind of craving some mall energy. Like I know that it's COVID and that's like the literally the worst idea ever. But have you ever been to the Fox Valley Mall in Appleton? Yes. One of the great malls. It's fantastic. If you're ever in <laughs> Appleton, Wisconsin, for some reason, Appleton's actually all right. Like I think, if, not bad. I think if you're in Wisconsin, you could do way, way, way worse. Than oh, Appleton, absolutely. Wisconsin. But one of the great malls, the Fox Valley Mall. Yeah, I feel like I would kill right now to go to the Fox Valley Mall with no people. Yeah, <laughs> on like a low sensory no. day oh. with headphones on and the lights real low. Right, like that's really it. I'm like, how did I spend so much time in the mall when the lights are so loud? There are so many people. Because so you were masking and you were miserable all the time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry for calling you out like this. No, it's okay. I didn't... Oh, I didn't... Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a minute? I might need a minute. <laughs> okay, so we have to talk about Mr. Hand. We have to talk oh, about God. the teaching. Yeah, I knew that you were going to be so mad about the teaching in this movie. <laughs> if you want your students to respect you, teach college. Yeah. High schoolers won't do it. That's just not what high schoolers do. Like, the whole point of being a teenager is learning boundaries. Which means they're gonna push buttons. Also, have some fucking compassion. Yeah. They're teenagers. They're gonna be hungry all the time. Yeah. You, on fucking basics, you should not be proud that your class is hard to pass. No. The that's whole, a failure of your teaching. The whole point of teaching is passing on information so it can be used and be useful. But I also think this speaks a lot to, like, the old style of teaching, which is not at all about teaching no. children and imparting information. And it is entirely about enforcing, like, what's the word? Fuck, shit. You're turning kids into robots so they can conform to capitalism. Conformity, right. It's forcing conformity. Jesus Christ, I can't, couldn't come up with that word. Right? It's just about, like, sit down, shut up, do your work, like, go to your factory job, do not expect free time, all of your time belongs to me. Like, it's just, it's not education. It's, it's not just indoctrination. I uh, saw a tweet the other day that has been sitting with me a lot, which is, homework is just teaching... Uh, kids not to respect work boundaries right exactly and like it's so true like how like if you told someone to go work for eight hours a day and then go home and do another three hours of work unpaid which i mean let's be real most teachers are doing anyway right i mean that's a crime it's a fucking crime but we expect children to do it right because because they're children and they don't have free will no Exactly. Like, and studies have shown that, like, spending that much time with information is not going to make you learn it any better. Right, right. And, like, studies show that homework doesn't make you do better. Like, studies show that, like, high-stress tests that you can only take once, they don't make you learn information. They make you 
like pump and dump like yeah like stay up cram it all in and then forget it all the next day like that's not how you really impart information it's not helpful yeah i and and yeah just like i think a part of it too and this is really really gross and i'm just coming to this now but like i do think for a long time especially with high school and especially with men because i went to school with some of these teachers like are just men who want to impose their will on someone yeah and they know they can do it with children in a way they couldn't do it with adults because adults would question them i definitely had teachers who like prided themselves on being horrible yeah and being terrifying and like you're just a sadist like that's just fucking evil yeah and it's just it's just fucking evil yeah uh looking at my high school theater department uh yeah and it's like yeah instead of like examining your shit and like dealing with why you have this power fantasy that you have to take out on children like you just abuse children all day yeah yeah I so like because cool. like his obsession with calling Spicoli out on everything is terrifying. Yeah, because like you are bullying that child, right. you are abusing that child, you are like you are not t- doing your job and passing on any information. Like like a child's education shouldn't be a privilege. No, that they have to earn through good behavior. Like. A child's education is a right and it's a community responsibility that, like, as their teacher, you have failed in imparting, like, the same way we always talk about neglectful parents. You're failing your kids. Yeah, exactly. And you're failing your students if you deny them an education because they have, you you two have conflict. Right. You know, it's just petty. It is. And it's, look, I get the want to like there are some kids who just like get under your skin and i understand that i've had plenty but like it's not about you it's never about you right and you have to like you have to you can never take it personally which is like something that they don't or didn't teach i don't know if it's being taught now but you know like having to learn to be that selfless and that like that flexible around how how people are treating you is hard and is not skills that were taught or expected out of teachers. And I think, like, a lot of it is, like, it is similar to that parenting thing. Like, this is a thing that I'm learning now about, like, parenting is, like, a lot of the crappy things our parents did was because they hadn't processed the trauma from their childhoods and they were using us to process their trauma. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, like, a big part of parenting and a big part of teaching, in as much as those things are very similar, like, is about processing your own shit and removing yourself from, like, what's best for the child. You know, like, you have to be, you know, being a parent or being a teacher is signing up to be maybe emotionally stronger at work than your average job. Yeah. Because I think it requires, if you're going to do it responsibly, that emotional remove where you can sit and be like, no, that's not a you thing. This is a me thing. I'm lashing out because I'm hurt, not because you've done something wrong. Yeah. Right? And like, yeah, I think... Especially because we know, I mean, Spicoli in this movie is just a burnout, but like we know in real life that if Spicoli is having problems in school, it's probably because he has crappy parents, he is poor and, you know, like, you know, not not getting the resources he needs. Right. Or like in the real world, he's a he's a person of color or you know a neurodivergent person or whatever who's getting bullied because they don't fit in right and they don't fit the traditional view of what the teacher thinks a child should be and therefore they don't deserve the same education yeah as a teacher who has emotional dysregulation and who has to process their feelings in a much more complicated way than other neurotypical and 
non-traumatized human beings do. It's possible. Like, it's, it's not impossible to do. And it is, you are able to feel your feelings and process and communicate that with your children. Right. And, like, because you... There have been plenty of days where I have, a kid has been being pushy and I have gone, I need to take a moment. Right. I am feeling very strongly right now and I need to take a moment so I don't say something mean. And I think like that also shows your kids a lot like a good role model of emotional maturity that you can step away and be like this is making me feel away if you can model to your children how to process big emotions they will learn how to process big emotions and you might not have to deal with them as much as yourself right. you like, don't have to you wouldn't have to do as much triage right if you teach them to like like half of my job is teaching kids how to emotionally regulate right and Especially at at the age you deal with. Especially at the age that I deal with. And if you can't do it yourself, what's the point? Right. How could you possibly impart that information on your children? Right. It's being taught more. Like, half the trainings I've gone to are about, you know, teaching social-emotional learning and, like, growing practices in your classroom to help normalize that. And it is... As an adult, learning those processes just to teach them is life-changing. Yeah. Because it's it's another form of therapy is, like, getting those techniques that you need. Because it'll be something I'm like, I had never thought of that. Right. That could work for me. Yeah. This And, like, if I can model this and do it for myself, then right. I can teach it to a kid and this yeah. kid could benefit from it. And it's ridiculous to me that so many people will just throw away children being difficult because and have to fight them harder and harder instead of going taking that moment and being like maybe it's not me right maybe it's something else and yeah it, it's again like it's about meeting people where they are yeah which is a thing we talk about all the time which is like you know it's not always about you and sometimes you have to stick yourself out and make yourself uncomfortable for the benefit of someone else and like if you have a kid who is so radically different from you that you have conflict as the more mature person it is your responsibility to do the reaching out to say like hey spicoli what's going on yeah do you need an extra lunch period do you need more time between classes like what's going on that we can't work out this conflict right and it's just (sighs) That whole breed of teacher ruined school for me. Totally. And to see it on screen and to see it called out for the villainy that it is was really validating. Totally. Because, like, as someone who loves to learn, who does not learn in a typical manner, my love of learning diminished over the years because I was never doing it right. Right. I was never good at doing it right. Yeah, yeah. And... So seeing someone like Spicoli who has the fucking balls to order a pizza in class and go, no, you know what? Fuck you. I'm fighting. Like, this is my time. This is like, is, was fucking amazing. And I absolutely loved seeing. Yeah. I honestly, yeah, I look up to Spicoli. I wish I had had more Spicoli in high school. I also, this is sort of a tangential thing. And this is, like, a particular, like, bugbear of mine. Uh Uh-huh. Never shame someone for admitting they don't know something. Right? How fucking hard is that? This is a quote. I don't know who it's from. I'm sorry. I can't attribute it. But, like, the first step to knowledge is admitting you don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know why that is one of these values things for me. Uh, One of these dumb values that I have about knowledge. But, like... You know, like, the only way you can ever know things is to admit that you don't know them and then to go on the journey of testing a hypothesis and learning and and gaining more information. And, like, I do feel like a big blight on our culture is the inability to admit that, like, I don't have perfect information. I do need to do more reading on that. I Maybe I don't know the answer. But I can I can think about it. I can look and I can come back to you. Yeah. There's this like immediacy of like, well, if you don't know right now or, you know, you can't admit that you don't know because that shows weakness. Yeah, I was going to say it's that you can't show weakness and yeah. that unfortunate 
correlation of power and weakness and that you always if you admit that you don't know you give up power and yeah yeah it's almost like if we taught people how to feel right they wouldn't it wouldn't be so scary when they felt something yeah i'm kind of running to the end do you want to start doing a lightning round yeah let's do our rapid fire i do think that sex shouldn't be an end goal no like i think in the same way that we shame people too much about sex we also centralize it too much you did kind of say something like this but i am totally down to talk about it again because this is like the because biggest argument with inside myself i'll have the time i feel like and maybe you can speak to this i feel like the intimacy part of sex is way more important than the physical part of sex absolutely i know that as a teenager i gained a lot more from just being able to be like really open like totally open and Mm -hmm. vulnerable and weak with another person in a way that you can kind of only do when you're being intimate. Yeah. Um, I got a lot more out of that than I ever got out of, like, the actual sex act part. Yeah. I, like, looking back at my teenage years, like, the moments that I felt most intimate with someone was when I was being emotionally vulnerable. And, like, I remember... The one time that I spent like a late night with a boy in a car was one of my best friends driving me home after robotics and then stopping down the street and talking to me and being like, what's going on with you? Yeah. You're not okay. And like... That's so precious. Right? <laughs> and like, you know, him like noticing that I was having a hard time and like was struggling was so much more validating than the times that I had sex and that I, I felt this pressure constantly to want sex as the that connection. Right. And, like, I think that was also, like, a big reason why I got obsessed with, like, teen romance novels and uh-huh. shit was because... Twilight, your Twilight. Oh, my Twilight saga was... I'm so sorry for my obsession with that. It was so bad. You know, we're going to have to watch one of those movies at some point. Yeah, and I have and a lot... Not of... at some point. I did the I did the schedule. I know exactly the date that that's going to have to come out, so... I have a lot of feelings about it, and I'm sorry ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it gave me a way to crave that intimacy without it being sex. Yeah. And it gave me an outlet that I understood to eventually get into the world of sex through fan fiction and shit and like totally opened me up to that ability to understand it in a better way than what your traditional like movies would show me because I didn't have that connection to that drive necessarily. Totally. It's a weird it's a weird thing to like it's it's fun. It's real fun, but it's not but it's not the best, best part, part, and it's not. It shouldn't be a goal. I don't think. No, like, if you treat it like a goal, you're going. Yeah, you get yourself in trouble, trouble. like Stacy does at the beginning of the movie, where it's like this guy doesn't care about you. He doesn't actually want anything to do with you. You both just want the sex part, and that's why it's not good, and it's not what you had imagined. Because like, the intimacy part is where it's where the real magic is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Giving blowjob lessons in the middle of a lunchroom is incredible. Bold. So bold. bold. So bold. I feel like if you did that in a real high school... You would get in so much trouble. I don't know about... Well, we went to very different high schools. At least in my high school... Maybe you wouldn't get in trouble. You would be blowjob girl... For Forever. the rest of high school. Forever. And there would of course there'd be some crazy story about how you like blew the whole football team at the same time. Right. Like that would that's the kind of shit that went around my high school. Yeah. Although my my graduating class was famously one of the most pregnant graduating classes of uh my high school's history. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Which uh is a real honor of some kind. <laughs> Like, tell me you grew up in the country without telling me, like, 30 of the girls in my graduating class got pregnant. I... Uh, yeah. This is, this is why we have the lightning round. I also did the smoking in your butt, smoking weed in your buddy's car. 
car on your lunch break trick. Except we had the fucking courtesy to at least drive the car off campus. <laughs> we would like go out for lunch. We'd go through McDonald's, we'd eat our food in the car, and then we'd just, like, smoke J's for the other 40 (laughs) minutes and then drive back to school high as fuck. That makes sense for you. (laughs) That's a real you I still do that now. That's still my go-to lunch break. Like, that sounds like a great way to spend a lunch break. (laughs) I wasn't cool enough to smoke weed in high school. I... Smoked more. This is. I smoked more weed in middle school than I did in high school because that was like post Christian brain zap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did still smoke some weed in high school. Smoked a lot. I smoked a lot more hookah in high school than I smoked weed. Though. Okay, that also makes sense for you. Yeah. Right. So we already established that uh, Stacy sleeps with an older guy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He turns out to be twenty six. Yeah. He takes her to a dugout to get fucked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe it's the lesbian in me, but my note about this says I've always wanted to have sex in a dugout. No, no, don't get me wrong. I also want to have sex in a dugout. I also played softball. <laughs> um, That's, yeah. But, but 26? Yeah, come on, On a my first dude. date? You, come you've on. got your own place, right? Oh, right? Or... I mean, you're all you are hitting on a 19 year old at 26, so I feel like that says a lot about your personality. Yeah. But like, not even the courtesy to stay in your car, or even like, yeah, like go to one of your classic makeout points, right? Where you sit in the car and you fog up the windows, right? Or like, like, come on, dugout, yes, at some point, first date, first date, come I, on, my dude, yeah, you can do better. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this uh, sort of continues a theme from our the craft episode. About uh, dudes just not putting in any effort at all on dates. Oh, don't get me started. That is my entire dating life right now. Yeah. I think it's men in particular. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's not just men. But men a lot. It's men a lot. Just like show up and they're like, you're going to start sucking my dick now, right? It's like you've done nothing. nothing. And unfortunately, Mm. I am attracted to men. (laughs) Yeah, it sucks for you, bud. Yeah. (laughs) I bet that's awful. Bradley getting fired is exactly why you keep back a house people back a house. Yeah, right? <laughs> Leave yeah. the front of house to the professionals. Yeah. This is why I should not be allowed to be front of house. Like, I'll start a fucking fist fight. <laughs> I'm going to kick it. Buddy, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. That's not how you handle that. But I appreciate, I as someone who wants to scream that all the time, <laughs> I appreciate it. Oh, my God. This... Mike Damone character, the guy who's always yeah, yeah, like yeah. selling tickets and hustling. I I think the character is interesting. This voice he's doing, this like Bing Crosby impression. I hate it. <laughs> Five minutes in, I want to punch him in his goddamn gob. He opened his mouth and I wanted to punch him. Yeah, I, it's awful. It's terrible. But like, you can't tell me you didn't know someone in high school who had some like crazy weird affected thing. Maybe not a weird speech pattern, but, like, who wore a hat all the time. Yeah. Or, you know, like, some some weird nerd girl who wore nothing but Dungeons & Dragons t-shirts for, like, four years just because it was easier to be the Dungeons & Dragons girl than to, like, get shit on all the time. Having fun with that self-proclamation. <laughs> I think he's an interesting character, but I could not stand him at all. And I just, like... I like a slime bag. I, like, think they're interesting characters. Yeah, totally. I think they're fun, and I'm such a sucker for them fictionally. But, like, you're trying too hard to be a skis bag, and yeah. it's... Yeah, feels like you're going out of your way. Yeah. And, and yeah, it feels, like, weirdly affected, like, this is a thing you think you should have to do. Right. Yeah, to, cl- like, to keep up this, like, character thing you're doing. And talking about him also this whole concept that of him helping rat flirt with girls and his whole thing being you just can't let them know that you're into them where is that coming from because it's such bullshit yeah but like that's it's so pernicious in movies right like there's this whole thing about like people who want to date having to seem like uninterested in order to seem interesting right maybe this is a neurotypical thing but like this is exactly the kind of shit that makes me crazy about dating as a like a neurodivergent person is it's like 
I don't, there's too many rules. Right? I don't know all those fucking rules. I don't, I just, I like you and I want to tell you that I like you and I don't care that there's like some stupid fucking convention that I don't know. Why, why am I not supposed to tell you that I think you're cute? And why am I not supposed to tell you that I want to hang out? Why am I not supposed to be excited to hang out with you if I like you? Right. Like. I don't understand. If we've established that we've liked each other, we like each other, why do I have to? And like, even if. I don't know that you like me and I express that I like you and you don't match my enthusiasm, then great. We've we've established established that we don't need to date anymore because there's an enthusiasm gap. Like, why are we we trying to trick people? Why the trickery? Why? Why? Also, this is a podcast about two neurodivergent people who don't understand why so much social interaction is trickery. I don't get it. <laughs> I truly don't. I don't understand. Why can't we just be honest with each other? Let's just have a fucking conversation. Why do we have to have like three levels of 3D chess about every goddamn thing? Do I like being snarky and playing games with people like as a flirting Can technique? it be fun? Yes. yes. Is all it the exhausting time? to do all the time? Also, also yes. yes. I like puzzles, but not this kind. Yeah, no. It's, oh, I don't like it. Gotta love the undertone of homophobia running through this movie. Yeah, that's tricky. Like, how many times did they get called fags for being lesser than? And, you know, like. It's really gross. But, like, even, like, we're talking about earlier, even in, like, the American pies of 20 years later. They're still doing Oh, my God. They're still doing it. And, like, when I was in middle school and high school, like, calling someone gay was just the, like, go-to insult. It was like calling someone stupid. Like, I'm sure you remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just so funny how, like, incredibly pervasive, like, homophobia was in the culture. Yeah. It's really disgusting. It's really disgusting. And it's really nice to see... Compared to what I'm teaching, when I'm teaching now, when yeah. I have kids who are like, I have a crush on my friend who's the same sex, and no one is giving a shit. No one cares. And they're just like, like everyone knew that this kid had a crush on her best friend, and everyone was like, didn't give a shit. They were just like, oh my god, you have a crush on somebody. Right, exactly. And it's, you know, it was adorable and heartwarming. Oh, so when, I think it's Run Rat, is it Rat? Asks out Stacy, finally. Yeah. I really like this approach. He's like, I have two questions. And one of them is just like some stupid dumb question about the like fast food restaurant or whatever. And then he's like, also, will you go out with me or whatever? I think that's such a brilliant way to play like an ask out. Yeah. Like, because there's always the pressure of just like, uh, hey, will you go out with me? It's like, no, no, if you soft pedal a little bit. Right. Like, I know we were just talking about, like, less trickery. But, but like, it's, it's cute not, trickery. It's not trickery. It's, it's it's confidence building. Yeah. It's like, start a conversation, get in the mode of asking a question so that you're already ready yeah. for the uncertainty of asking a question. It's adorable. And then you can just be like, oh, will you go out? Do you want to go on a date sometime? Like... If someone pulled that on me, I would totally say I would say melt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I was at work and somebody was like, hey, is this the right adhesive to use on the thing? Yeah. Also, would you go out? Do you want to go on a date sometime? I'd be like, ha, 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 excuse me. Excuse me. Well, hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Maybe if we made uh, abortion accessible and e- we wouldn't have to scrounge together hundreds of dollars for a teenager. Right? And she doesn't have to worry about her entire savings going because the boy doesn't show up. Right. Yeah, it's so shitty. It's like, it's almost as if we've designed the system to oppress women. <laughs> or I should say, we, it's almost as if we've designed the system to oppress uterus havers. Thank you. I appreciate that. As <laughs> as a non-woman <laughs> uterus haver? Yeah. I got into an argument with a, a customer about it earlier this week because I kept correcting him about, like, uterus havers. And he's, I have one. It's so easy. It's uterus so- havers, testicle havers. Or ovary havers, testicle havers. Right? Like, so easy. So incredibly easy. So incredibly easy. Cha- will change lives. Yeah. It just, just those those things don't have to be gendered. No. They are they are genderless anyway. A field I've... trip to a morgue seems like a choice. <laughs> it's definitely a choice. Again, I think this is this is one of those teachers like a different kind of like 
weird, maybe crappy teacher who is not interested in imparting knowledge so much as just, like, freaking kids' minds. Yeah. It's just, like, blowing minds. But, like, that's not really teaching. teaching. I, yeah. I really love the relationship between, is it Brad and Stacy? Yeah. The brother and sister. Yeah, I do too. Who, like, are, you know, they rib each other. They're a little bit, you know... You know, standoffish. They're siblings. They're because it seems like they're a few years apart in age too. But yet they like they always support each other. Like they're always there if something's wrong. Like they seem to like yeah actually get along with each other, which you never see for a different no for for opposite opposite sex siblings like that almost never happens to have supportive siblings like that it's really great uh i never understood why you would want to hide the answers on your test from other kids who are because if they're like desperate enough to look at your answer obviously they need help right i also like i was an answer hider as a kid which is how i developed my terrible illegible handwriting was as like an anti-cheating defense because i always got like really good scores so kids always knew they could just sit next to me and take all the answers i think it is a byproduct of the sort of like rugged individualism of american culture of the like success is a zero-sum game where like if you succeed and a bunch of other people succeed that means no one succeeded but if only you succeed then you really succeeded because a bunch of people failed yeah and i think again it's that it's that learning to get others in trouble and learning to tattle and uh, make sure you're following the rules and making sure that anyone who is not is called out and right it's in for it's that same like enforcing social norms of like this person's different this person's not following the rules this person isn't you know going in line with the thing that we're all supposed to do therefore they have to be like shamed and right whatever the one thing I liked that Mr. Hand did, and it all proves my fucking point, is when he came and adapted his teaching style to pass on the information to Spicoli at the end of the movie. Right. And Spicoli fucking got it. Right. Like, he understood what was going on. It's because almost as if if you meet kids where they are, they have a lot easier time absorbing things. Right? Like, you spent how long making this kid's life miserable? And it did nothing. It did nothing. <laughs>